When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, you know, because of the dissension between the you know, religions in Belfast, you know, it didn't matter that night. It didn't matter. You know, nobody gave a damn. Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, whatever, they were all there. You know, and it was just a, a fantastic atmosphere for time. It'll stay with me forever. Yeah. How did um, set lists and things like that work with Rory then, going on stage? No set list. No set list at all? Rory never used a set list. Wow. Never used a set list. Not anything went. Anything went. <laughs> You know, I mean, sometimes Rory would just out of the brew, he, he would play like a Beatles song, Rain. You know, it was a B-side of, 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 I can't remember, Day Trip or something. It's just start playing it, so you just joined in, you know, and it was fun. And it kept you on your toes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, on today's show, I spoke with a man who is with Rory Gallagher for over 20 years, played on every single one of Rory's solo albums that amassed global sales of more than 30 million records. Phenomenal stuff. Now, Rory Gallagher, of course, is one of the true greats of the guitar world, and despite huge sales... He still remains somewhat of an unknown figure at times. The quality of his playing is indisputable, but he was labelled as the best guitarist you've never heard of, which is crazy when people like Eric Clapton, Johnny Marr, U2's The Edge and Brian May have all publicly credited him as being an influence on them. And as I said, my guest today, Jerry McAvoy, was right by Rory's side all the way through his incredible solo career, which included 14 albums and numerous world tours. Sadly, Rory passed away in 1995, aged just 47. Now, Jerry is keeping Rory's music alive, touring the songs he worked with Rory on in his group Band of Friends. Jerry has toured with Band of Friends since 2014, thrilling audiences with Rory's songs across the world. Now, in this interview, Jerry talks about how he joined Rory, the dynamic in the recording studio and on stage. He talks about what Rory was like as a man, not just as a musician, and about the plans he has for the future too. He's going to be at the Great British Rhythm and Blues Festival in Lancashire this August, along with many other great acts, and it's a festival he's played many times in the past. So that is where we start on the interview. So you enjoy playing this festival then in particular because it looks like a, a cracking lineup again this year. Absolutely. And, and the atmosphere in the festival is fantastic. It's like a fun atmosphere. You know, you can walk down the street and go to different pubs, you know, under the restaurants. And there's always like frivolity. And, 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 and there's no sort of, a, there's no tension. It's, it's, it's just a really, really nice festival. Really good. Excellent stuff. And uh, obviously we were talking about Band of Friends because that's, that's something you put together a couple of years ago, isn't it? Well, probably nearly 10 years ago now. But uh, just, just give us the, the information behind that then. Why did you decide to go with Band of Friends? Well, when I, I actually moved to France uh, around 2007, I think it was. Uh, and prior to that, my my uh, my old sound system, my my uh, stereo, my record player was was all in in a lockup. So obviously, when when I when I moved over here, I managed to get it all out of uh, out of storage. 
and set it up, which was fantastic. And, uh, and listen to vinyl again, which was fantastic. <laughs> and of course, um, a lot of the vinyl I had was, you know, Rory, the stuff I played with Rory, I played in all the albums. Um, and I started listening to it again, you know, with, with, uh, with fresh ears. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, when you make a record sometimes, that's it. You, you put it away and, and let's get on to the next project. I mean, you know yourself, you, yep. know, you know, what it's like. And, and listening to the songs again, I just thought, bloody hell, I mean, the songs are great. I'd forgotten how good the songs actually were. And I thought to myself, it would be great to take this on the road, you know, with, with the right musicians. And, and I managed to get in touch with, uh, with Ted McKenna, who played with, uh, sadly, with Lost Ted now, but uh, he played with Rory uh, for three, four years. And uh, Ted was down lecturing at uh, Glasgow, uh, a college in Glasgow, Glasgow University. So he wasn't doing much playing, but he was well, well up for it, you know. And I'd met this other young guy from uh, from Amsterdam and Holland, uh, Marcel Sheffield's in. So, uh, so we got him on board and, and we rehearsed it for a couple of days and um, we went out and did a couple of festivals in Italy and Spain, I think it was. And, and uh, that, that was like through 2011, 2012, we sort of kicked off uh, and did a couple of English shows and, and it, just, it just rolled, it snowballed from there. I mean, the lineup has changed quite a few times as now. Obviously, mm -hmm. we lost Ted uh, a few years back. Uh, Brenda O'Neill's now drumming, Brenton Sedden's Rory for, for 10 years. From, 1981 to 1991. Um, so <clears throat> I was back in Belfast. I mean, we lived in London for for a year with the band I was with, Deep Joy. We would go over. We ended up in the same stable as as, as Rory, as, as Taste, uh, Robert Stigwood organization. And so we ended up doing a, a few shows together with uh, with Taste, opening for Taste. So it's, it's, uh, we got a, I got acquainted a little bit with Rory, you know, and over the, those months in nineteen seventy. Uh, and then towards the end of nineteen seventy, we, we were still sort of playing the clubs in London. And, and Rory and his brother Donald come down a couple of times. There was a club in Kensington called Blazes, quite famous in the sixties and the seventies. And and Rory and his brother came down. I just thought they were just you know coming down just to you know have a have a pint and a chat. And that was it. And then um, as I say, the, my band did Joy split up uh, New Year's Eve, nineteen seventy. So uh, nineteen seventy one, I, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't know what I wanted to do because. Uh, the year in London was uh, was on a starvation diet, so I didn't particularly fancy to come back to that again. Uh, and I, I think it was towards the end of January, I got a call. And I thought it was Wilger, who was the drummer with uh, Deep Joy, who stayed in London. And it was Rory. He said, Jerry, how are you doing? I said, oh, Rory, good to hear from you, so and so. And a couple of niceties chatting away. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, do you fancy going over to London to have a bit of a jam, a bit of a blow? So I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's, that, that was the initial um, get together. I mean, so I flew over to London and we met up in a, a, a tiny little studio in, uh, in Fulham, Fulham Palace Road, actually. Wilder was already there. Rory was there. And Donald picked me up at the airport where his brother picked, and we drove down there and, and we jammed for about three hours, three or four hours, you know. And we just, you know, blues, rock and roll, you know, none of Rory's songs. I mean, it was just, a, it was great. It was great. You know? and, and plus the fact, I mean, I was a fan 
when I was growing up as a kid in Belfast, I mean, I was a fan of Taste, Mark One and Mark Two. So to be standing there with with this guy, you know, like and, and playing with him and realizing how good he was. <laughs> that's the other thing as well. <laughs> I was going to say that because obviously you said you're on the same bill. You, you did shows together. You've obviously seen him play live and everything like that. So when you get the phone call off him, I mean, what was your what was your early thoughts of, of, of Rory as a person then, having watched him play guitar and then suddenly you're, the, you're there alongside him? I mean, I, I, I mean, as I said, I was a fan. I mean, I thought he was fabulous. I mean, I, you know, coming from Belfast because they, they, they moved up to Belfast from Cork, like TS Mark 1. And so we'd see him in the clubs and, and that, you know, and um, to have the invitation to come over and, and, and play with the guy, I'm thinking, oh, my, this is amazing, you know. I mean, I, I, as a musician, I, I, you know, later years, I realised how good a songwriter he was, you know, but as a musician, as a guitar player, he was fantastic. He, he, was, he, was, he was a one-off, absolutely. Absolutely. And you talk about musician and songwriters. How, how did the process work then? Because obviously you did many studio albums with him. Did he come in with a song and say, this is what we're doing today, or, or is it more collaborative? How, how did that sort of thing work out with you guys? No, we'd rehearse, uh, say for the first album, we rehearsed uh, in the same little studio that uh, we had the jam session in. And Rory would come in. He wouldn't sort of, uh, you know, he wouldn't bring, bring a script and he wouldn't bring any words that he wouldn't be. He would just come in and start playing. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's have a go with this guy. I mean, he wouldn't say if it's a, a boogie or if it's a shuffle or if it's a rock song or a blues. He, he would just play. And we would all join in, myself and Wilger, you know, we Wilger would get the tempo and, and then... I, I, I played guitar. I mean, I grew up playing guitar before yeah. I switched to bass. So I, I could see the chords. I could read the chords when Rory's playing. So I, so I could just follow it. And uh, I, I mean, we, we were given a carte branche. I mean, within the song, you know, I mean, the song was there. Rory had written the song, you know, the structure of the song, you know, but obviously your, your, your drum patterns, your, your bass lines. I mean, I, I just threw them in, you know, added my own, my own ideas, you know, seemed to work. Certainly did. But that's that, that. That was that was that was the process of uh, that was that was Rory's uh, the writing process. Yeah. And when it came to putting down that first album and, and subsequent albums, it was almost no frills, wasn't it? There was not many overdubs on top of it. It was all kind of recorded live, a couple of mics in the studio, sort of thing. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what Rory he always tried try to achieve that sort of live thing in the studio. Uh, Hence, uh, we would play the song live. I mean, as far as uh, solos, I mean, middle solos and end solos, Rory would do it as a band. And then if, if there was any overdubs, there'd be a little bit of rhythm guitar. But I mean, the solos were all done live. They were all, you know, they weren't created after after the, the recording, you know. So it, it was all literally done live. And the second album, Juice, is even more pertinent about, you know, that, that really is life, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So how does that feel then as, as a musician in the studio? Are you doing that song maybe, I don't know, 10 times, 20 times until you get the take that you're happy with? I, I mean, I can remember sometimes we would do one take uh, and that would be it. If, 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 if the feeling was right, you know, uh, I mean, other songs, you're talking about five, six, seven, maybe up to 10 takes, you know. I think as the years went on, we did more takes of songs. I think maybe we really looking for, for, you know, something else. Um, but in the early days, it, it was very straightforward. It was like a bang. It, it was like doing a gig, you know. I mean, and and yeah. and and then you were hot and sweaty after a recording session with Rory as well. You know, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it was like a gig, you know. So, and then you know, even um, I mean, on the first album is a song called Laundromat, which we did three or four takes. I mean, that's a song that we never rehearsed. Funny enough, I mean, Rory just brought her into the studio and started playing the riff, and I went, "Wow, this is a riff and a half." Um, so we just joined in, but about so and so, we did five or six takes. Um, and the one that Rory picked 
which was, uh, as far as he was concerned, that the best performance would be done out of the five or six teams. There was a base mistake on it, and it's been on there ever since. And I, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of irked me at the time. But I can see where Ruby's coming from. You know, it didn't matter. You know, it's a, a little base mistake, a little fluff, you know, but every time I listen to it, I hear it. <laughs> no. But it, 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 was, it, it was the performance that Ruby was after me. Indeed. And you talk about playing live and things like that. How did how did um, set lists and things like that work with Rory then, going on stage? No set list. No set list at all? Rory never used a set list. Wow. Never used a set list. No. Yeah. I mean, Rory would just call the shots. I mean, normally on a tour, you'd find your way. Rory was always, you know, he was calling, calling, the, uh, calling the shots. Yep. Um, he'd normally have maybe the first two songs who would remain those first two songs on that particular tour. But after that, anything went anything went <laughs> you know I mean sometimes Rory would just out of the blue he, he would play like a Beatles song Rain you know it was a B-side of, of, of I can't remember Day Trip or something or not that, anyway and he just it's just start playing it so he just joined in you know and it was fun and it kept you on your toes <laughs> I was gonna say yeah did he ever throw in uh, later on any of the kind of album tracks that he'd not played in a while and it was, it's almost like you've got to remember again and go for it exactly I mean I remember I mean Cinder Boy we used to be on, on, on the first couple of tours you know 71, 72 and in later years I mean in the 80s Brenton O'Neill was drumming at the time and, and we just started playing Cinder Boy Brenton never played it in his life <laughs> you know I mean, I, I, and I could just about remember it you know, but we, we, we got there. We got we got to the end of the song. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then speaking about the album Calling Card, I mean, that was the first time that um, a, a big name producer was kind of brought in alongside Rory, wasn't it, for, for the recording the album? It was obviously Roger Glover, a legendary figure, both as a producer and as a, a bass player and a musician in himself. But I've heard you say in, in, in the past that it didn't really work. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, I, th- I, th- I think there was a, a cluster between Rory and, and, uh, and Roger as far as the direction. They both wanted the album to go. Um, I mean, I think Rory used the producer once in the past with Taste when they did uh, on the boards. Uh, Tony Colton Smith, I think, his singer from Heads, Hands and Feet produced the, the, that Chase though. Um, yeah, and, and I think it was just a clash because uh, Roger obviously coming from from where he comes from, Deep Purple, you know, like a you know, very straight rock thing. And, and he was sort of, uh, he was heading in that direction. Um, which is fine, you know. I mean, you know, and I think Rory was missing the roughness, you know, the rawness, you know, where uh, I think Roger was was heading for more like a deep purple type sound, you know. Obviously, we had the keyboards then, so it was like roughly the same sort of lineup as deep purple, you know, I mean, four piece, you know, except for no lead singer. Um, and I think it's a shame, you know, because. Um, you're sort of caught in between the two of them, you know, with, uh, you know, and, and it, it's a shame. It was just a terrible shame. And that's a good album, you know, it's a great album, you know, but, but uh, you know, I, I can see that there was a certain smoothness in that album that, uh, that did, you were pretty good with it in the other Rory albums. And what did you uh, find with working with Roger? Because I was, we said, obviously he's a legendary bass player himself. And how did you find getting on with him? I, I, I was fine, you know, you know, because I mean, we, we We'd uh, toured with Deep Purple uh, prior to that, '73, uh, I think. We, we did like like a two month tour, you know, in, in in the states with uh, Deep Purple. So so we, we were all getting on great, you know. Um, and I like Roger a lot. You mean you know, and, and uh, obviously being fellow bass players as well, you know. So there's there was uh, something there between us as well, you know. I didn't have a problem, with it, but there you go. Such as life, celebrate. <laughs> 
Such is life indeed. Um, and as we mentioned, you were really the only real constant, weren't you, with, with Rory all the way through 20 years. You're talking two decades. You, you recorded on all of his studio albums. You worked with him for so long. So what was it between the two of you that worked so well then, do you think? There was a friendship besides everything else, besides being musical partners. There was a friendship between Rory and I, a very close friendship. And I think also because of from first of all, as I said, I was a guitar player before a bass player, so I could read things. And and, and I know it sounds silly, but I think Rory, we, between us, we had this sort of t- telepathy thing. I I can't explain it. I, I I don't want to go down that road. I mean, you know, you know, the telepathy thing, you know. But the, the, there was times I could I I, I knew that Rory was going. to, play something before he played it. I mean, a lick or whatever, you know, it's just because I'd, I'd been there so, for so many years, you know, and vice versa. Rory with me as well, you know, he could be sometimes that I was going to do something beforehand. I mean, it, it, was, it was just a great combination between the two of us, you know. And um, yeah, well, we, we talk about um, Rory as a guitar player. I mean, he's phenomenal. Everyone knows that. He's one of, one of the greatest guitar players we've seen. But as a person, what, what kind of a person was Rory? He's very reserved, very shy. Rory, you know, he, he was um, he, he kept himself to himself, you know. But at the same time, I mean, when we weren't working, I mean, I'd meet Rory. I'd go up to uh, uh, you know to Chelsea, or whatever, you know, and, and we'd go out and have a couple of pints and go for a meal, and um, <clears throat> and on the road, uh, especially in the states, because uh, Rory's a big movie fan, and as is, as I, I am as well. So on off days, we'd end up going to see the movies, you know, go, go to the movies together, and uh, you know, he enjoyed that. You'd, but he, he liked his own space as well, like we all do, you know. But uh, as opposed to being extroverted on stage as he was, he was actually quite an introverted off, off, off stage, you know. But we, we could have a couple of wild times as well, you know. <laughs> so he wasn't that introverted. I'm sure you, I'm sure you did. Um, and then is there any moments that you kind of look back on now almost that maybe stick in your head and you kind of go, wow, was that me or did, or did that really happen? Can you think of anything like that? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I remember the first time we played Belfast, obviously my hometown. Um, and it was during the troubles, and it was it was sort of dangerous to go there at the time, you know. And and what sticks in my my mind was that the audience that night, because they, they, they were been starved of music. I mean, nobody went there in the seventies, nobody. And Rory, every year we we would go back there, you know. But the first time he played it would have been seventy one with Wilger, God rest him as well. <laughs> it, it, it was fantastic. The, the, the atmosphere and and that that stay with me forever, you know. And and. And, you know, because of the dissension between the you know, religions in Belfast, you know, Catholic or Protestant, it didn't matter that night. It didn't matter. You know, nobody gave a damn. Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, whatever, they were all there, you know, and it was just a, a fantastic atmosphere for time. It'll stay with me forever. And um, just back to now, then, you, you mentioned that your you current lineup and you're going to be out on tour. We're going to see you at the Great British Blues Festival, but you're out on tour as well. You're going across the UK and you've got some dates in Europe as well, haven't you? That's right. We're around, we're actually um, doing the Rory Gallagher Festival, the International Festival over in uh, the Ballyshannon, County Donegal in Ireland, and a couple of festivals through June, July, August, mostly festival stuff, including coal as we know. And then I think we did some UK shows in September, Irish shows in September, October, Germany, it's Australia, it's Austria, Switzerland. Um, and then some French shows. And so, yeah, we're, we're busy right up until the end of the year and, and next year's starting to build up. Obviously, after the pandemic, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying after the pandemic, it's, it's still sort of hanging in there. But, 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 but I mean, obviously things are starting to do it up now, you know. 
which is great. Absolutely. And then in terms of the music and, and the fact that you're bringing Rory's uh, music back to back to crowds and stuff like that, what sort of reception do you get from people? Mostly good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope it stays good. Yeah, it's great. And it's it's it also, it's great to see. There's a lot of young people coming along as well to, to our shows as well, you know, which is great to see. You know, I mean, you want to say young, you know, in their 20s, the 30s, that's young. You know? mm-hmm. And um, it, it's encouraging to see that you know, the, these young people come along, you know, just to, to, you know, to listen to, to, to what Rory's music was like. Um, at the moment, we're actually in the middle of recording as well, uh, the new album for uh, Band of Friends, which will be mostly a, you know, Arnold songs, but there were a couple of Rory songs in there. So um, that's due for a release next, uh, I think, January, February. Oh, fantastic. We look forward to that. That's our progress so far. Brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jerry. We wish you the best of luck for, for the new album and for the tour and hopefully see you in Colm. Absolutely. Okay, Paul, you take care. Bye-bye. And a big thank you to Jerry McAvoy for joining me. Definitely worth checking out the Great British Rhythm and Blues Festival. Some great acts there. Tickets still on sale. It's a bank holiday weekend as well, so what more do you need? Just search for Great British Rhythm and Blues Festival online and you can get all the details there. Right now it's the time of the show for the top fives and this week I'm going to give you my favourite five songs from Rory Gallagher's solo work. If you're not familiar with Rory's work then please do take the time to check it out. He's astoundingly good. Perhaps have a listen to this top five and, and take it from there. But remember this is my personal choice. It's highly subjective. I don't expect you to agree. In fact I'd love to hear how you disagree so please do reach out with your own top fives during this week too. So here you go, my top five favourite Rory Gallagher songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a brilliant rolling bluesy number, some say the perfect encapsulation of Rory. It features such a soulful bluesy guitar feel and fantastic solos too. From his fifth studio album Tattoo in 1973 at number five is A Million Miles Away. Four is a track from the 1976 album Calling Card. It's a proper hard rocking song, and the intro is such a brilliant riff. My number four is Moonchild. At three is a song from his seventh studio album, 1978's Photo Finish. At this stage, he'd trimmed the band down to a power trio, and this song is the peak of that sound on this record. It has brilliant solos, a pounding, relentless beat, and rocks hard. At three is Shadow Play. At number two is a song Rory wrote about a notorious British traitor. Lyrically brilliant, melodically catchy as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From 1979 album Top Priority, my number two is Philby. Time drags by, I'm above suspicion, there's a voice on the telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
at number one is another song from the Top Priority album. I love its big pounding beat. The guitar work is top, top notch as you'd expect. And again, its refrain is just so catchy and memorable. It's by far my favourite Rory Gallagher track. The number one song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, of Rory Gallagher's solo stuff is Bad Penny. So there you go, my top five songs from Rory Gallagher's solo work. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree or disagree? Please do let me know. Email me at vintagerockpod at gmail.com or catch me on any of the social media platforms. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube and you'll be able to find me there. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please do hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on so you don't miss any more future big interviews or the new Daily This Day Rock Shows. They are short five-minute daily releases and if you haven't checked them out yet, please do so. They are fantastic. That's it for me this time, though. I've just about got through it again with my voice. Remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.